Okay, we've just come through a bunch of primaries. We're almost done. And we probably have, well, there's three, but there's going to be a couple of people that's going to be running for president. And folks, out of 340 million people, this is what we get. Enough said. Go on forever about that. What about our economy here in southern West Virginia? For a century or more, built on the bedrock of coal, a wonderful natural resource God put in the earth for us during the flood. What a great God he was. But we're seeing that go by the wayside for various reasons, but it'll never be like it's been. We will have to make a lot of adjustments in the southern part of the state. And what about our ever-changing culture and society? Progressive humanists falling all over themselves to be the first one to introduce something new, a new way of thinking. Humans can do this, humans can do that, we can do this and that and everything. So I've stirred some thoughts, haven't I? That's what I wanted to do. We'll, we'll expand on these things a little bit. Let's pray first. Father, you're a gracious, wonderful God. Amazing. We've already heard huge sermons in the songs. I appreciate Tim's singing a couple of songs that I, I desired for him to have today. That was very gracious on his part in the the uh, musicians and the singers. Tremendous biblical doctrine, principles in the songs we sung. We could go home and have worshipped. So thank you for that. You're the great creator of all things. All of us, we were conceived because you chose to have that conception take place. You have purpose for us. You have designs on our lives. There are no accidents. There are no mistakes. Lord, this is your world, although most people would deny that by their actions, their lives, their statements. But we know, as believers, we know who is the author of life. It's like the last song, all we have is Christ. When Tim shared about the upcoming adult education classes, Lord, what a great opportunity for all of us to come and fellowship together around your word as we learn and grow. We need you more than we've ever needed you. I do. And I just pray that these few moments will be very special in your eyes. Pray you would be honored and your word would be honored. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, this maze. You know what? I was thinking these last couple of weeks, preparing for this. We we do have an advantage over Carl. We can spend two or three, four weeks getting ready for something. He's got to do it boom, boom, boom every week. And I've came to realize that we live in a large maze. All of us, we live in a huge maze. The earth is just one big maze full of wide paths, narrow paths, tunnels, some places even houses and mirrors. It's so distorted we can't even recognize where we are. But we live in a huge maze. Believers and unbelievers alike, we're all together. We're all together in this maze. Think of the circumstances that you've faced in the last two or three weeks. Some of us 
have flown through plexiglass windshields. Not uh, by design, but uh, the way things happen sometimes, isn't it? Just think of the various circumstances that occur in your lives. I, I call it the flat tire syndrome. Guys love things with tires. You know, cars, trucks, motorcycles, four-wheelers, side-by-sides, whatever it might be. But we also like wheelbarrows and garden tillers and tractors and lawnmowers. And you know what? Sometimes Nancy says, well, why do you mow it doesn't look that long. Yeah, it needs mowed. Well, one reason I like to mow is I do some of my greatest pondering and thinking and praying just sitting on that lawnmower. But you know what happens? Sometimes you walk out there and you look, tire's flat. That, these things happen to us all the time. Why is it that sometimes this maze is so daunting to us? It's so overwhelming. Well, there's reasons for that. If you want to turn to... Genesis 3, we'll start very early in the scriptures. Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. Now, God's already dealt with the serpent. He's put him in his place, and he's dealt with Eve. He's given her her instructions on what women would face. Now he's dealing with Adam and dealing with the world in general. Verses 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We enter the maze. Adam and Eve entered the maze. They went to the edge of Eden. And there's this huge, iron, rusty-looking gate. And Adam says, Lord, this was never here before. He said, you're going to see many things that you never saw before. So the gate creaked open, and, and they went out into this world that we know of. But something unique happened that describes who God really is. Look down just a little ways further, verses 20 through 21. The man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Before he sent them through the gate, he gave them things to wear. And he does like mothers do. You know, probably took Adam and he both and straightened it and said, Okay, all right, you're ready to go now. He gave them a little idea, a big idea really, that, you know, You've, you've broken my heart, but I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to turn you loose. So that's why they, we have this maze to live in. We can thank Adam and Eve. And I've often gotten pretty angry with them. But you know what? I think as I've gotten older, I realize I would have done the same thing. They were no different than us. We're no different from them. Look at the natural world now. If you will, turn to Romans chapter 8 real quickly. I want to go through this real quickly. The natural world is broken too. Everything around us, verses 20 through 22 in Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, 
So the natural world, humans, we're all fallen. Everything's busted up. It's a wreck. But God always provides a remedy, doesn't he? Real quickly, same chapter, verses 18 and 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In verse 23, let me find it here. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the, are, have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. Okay, I'm trying to set a little bit of a stage here. And one more thing, I think we'll do that. Also, the remedy, the Creator has a plan. What does it, what does it involve? Just, just what Paul's going to be teaching about, Tim's going to be teaching about, and uh, Ruthie will be teaching about in the Scriptures. It all comes back to the good old gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 2, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. My favorite people. How many of you think Peter's about the coolest guy in the New Testament other than Jesus? Anybody else think that? Other than me? You aren't too smart, are you? <laughs> My word. Now, a lot of people like Paul because he, you know, he has that road to Damascus experience that everybody just, and that starts his life and he gets stoned and walks back into town and gets beaten and all kinds of stuff. But Peter's my guy because Peter messed up so many times. It's obvious places. But, you know, God was gracious to him, brought him back. You remember the, the, the time he denied him that night? You know who would have been around those fires? Well, there's some guards, servant girls. They're the only ones mentioned. But I guarantee you there have been some, some alcoholics, there have been some thieves waiting for it to get dark enough. They could slip out and find places to steal things. The dregs of society would have been there. And he couldn't even before them say, now, hey, he's the Christ and I'm with him. You can do with me as you please. No, he denied him. But here he doesn't. Look at the power in this, folks. Chapter 2, verses 22 through 28. And he's preaching the first sermon when the Spirit of God had come on all these gentlemen. Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You may have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So this maze we live in, there are paths of life within it, isn't there? But we as believers, I've said this so many times, and I know it's only come to me as I've gotten older. I'm a slow learner. But it is the greatest privilege any man, any woman, any child will ever have to be a child of God. There is nothing better. Obama's president. He's president. He goes all over the place, and he goes and does this and says that and says whatever. Folks, there is no position in this world better than the simple place of being a child of the king. It's a wonder. So 
It always goes back to the gospel. And those men then, after Peter got done, what must we do? They want to know what, what he could do. David looked forward to those paths. Just in Isaiah that we heard read earlier by Tim, God grants a way out, doesn't he? he? He does grant a way out. You know, why God has chosen these methods, I don't know. I can't explain to you why he does the things he does. I know it's out of love. I know it's out of care and concern for his creation. I know that we as people are the very crown of his creation, that, you know, oak trees and puppy dogs are cool and everything, but they're nothing compared to us because we're made in his image. But he's done some very unique things. And the salvation, the salvation is one of those very unique things. Remember John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? That's the same thing as the maze. Pilgrim starts out, by the time he gets done, he's a Christian. But boy, does he go through some rough, difficult times on the way. We do that. We do that now, right now in the maze. Some of the things I mentioned early on, those three things, they're enough to make you just don't want to give up and go in a corner and suck your thumb and cry. I mean, this world is a rough, hard, broken place. But it's a scriptural definition of what it is. It's right there for us. A couple of questions. Do we care about the temporal and eternal needs of our fellow men and women as they weave their way through this maze? Do we really care about them? Sometimes I don't. Much of the time I just don't care that much. That's a hard thing to admit. As a child of God, shouldn't I have the same compassion and love as Jesus did for the for the people? If you've ever seen Ben-Hur, when that, that lady goes into the area where everyone has leprosy and she takes hold of this lady and she says, oh, don't, don't touch me, you'll get leprosy. No, 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 come on, we're going to go see the Savior. And she said, the world is more than we know. And it certainly is, but... Do we really care about other people? This this is where I'm getting into it finally, guys. Why do we want to be people of our current day, our current age, yet we're so out of step with this day and age? What's what's the deal with that? Why do we want to be living in this age? And we do. We we want to fit in. We want to make a difference. We want to, you know, Jason Young one time a couple years ago, three years ago or something, teased me because I finally got an iPhone or finally got a smartphone because I would always say, well, you're going to have to call me about that, or you're going to, I don't have all that stuff. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And he would tease me about that. He saw me one day with it on my side like a pistol, buddy. I had it right here on my thing. Dave, you've stepped up. Can you text? I said, yes, Jason, I can text. So we move on. But you know, we want to be a part. But yeah, we don't, we're out of step. Christ was one of us. But he was infinitely different. You know, he, he, he smelled like everybody that day. He looked like everybody else. He dressed like everybody else. He traveled like he didn't have chariots with beautiful white Arabian horses pulling him around and servants and stuff. He did everything everybody else did. But he was infinitely different than everybody else. He fit in where he was, but he changed everything around him. You know, Christianity spreads. It keeps growing. It keeps moving. I think it's doing so more so now in Africa and in South America and other places throughout the world than it is in America. It seems like it's come to a, not a total halt, but in America, it's just not cool anymore. That will change probably someday. 
But Christianity spreads age to age, culture to culture, adapting to, but also altering at the same time. We finally get to another slide. Here is the conflict. Believers are earthbound, but are being drawn heavenward. Ah, you're starting to sense something a little bit. Think of that, about that. We're earthbound. We're here, but we're being drawn heavenward. A gentleman, Andrew Walls, who was a professor of missions at Edinburgh University in um, Scotland. He's, I think he's still alive, but he's very old. He's never written a lot of books or anything, but he's written some very unique essays because he spent a lot of time in the mission field. He came up with two terms that help describe this, so they're not original with me. The first principle is the indigenous principle. Indigenous. Okay, it's four syllables. I try to stay away from four-syllable words. Three or less is best. But in this case, we've got to go with four. Indigenous principle. God comes to us where we are, who we are, as we are. We don't have to clean anything up. How many times have you went to someone and said, well, yeah, but I'll tell you what, maybe if I... <laughs> I got some pretty bad habits. Maybe I'll... That sounds like a good deal. Maybe I'll just clean up a few things and then I'll, I might seek out this Jesus guy you're talking about. God doesn't do that to us. He takes us where we are, as we are. If he comes to us, he does the work. He comes to us. So that's indigenous means just native to or, or originating there. So God comes to us, but something begins to change in us. I remember the first few times I sensed this. I wondered, one of our well, it was a Harvey reunion because my dad's side of the family, and they weren't pleasant to be around. They just weren't. I don't know if you knew any of them. I don't think anybody in here maybe did, but we, they were from around here. But they just weren't pleasant people to be around. And I wonder why I didn't ever want to go to the, the Harvey reunion. I'd much rather be here with you all. Well, the Scripture tells us that. Remember when Christ, they told Christ, your mother and brothers and sisters are out here. He said, here, here. People are listening to me share this and are listening and going to change the world because of accepting what I say. Here's my family. So this indigenous principle is justification. God comes to us where we are. You know that's happened. You've got your road to Damascus experience. It may not be that dramatic. Some of you came to know Christ very early age, very young. And you've slowly grown through the years. You say, man, it hadn't been that dramatic with me. But change has. The change that only God can do has been dramatic. So he begins to change us, transform us. So the second principle is the pilgrim principle. How many other words are used in the scriptures to define us that way? We're pilgrims, we're exiles, we're aliens, we're vagabonds. Well, vagabonds is my term. I like that one. But we're not, we, we are not meant for this world. The moment you become a believer... Your citizenship is no longer here. You don't know that. You have to grow into that. You have to learn and be, you know, the scriptures have to change us to come to know that. But this is not our home. Don't turn that Romans 12, 2a says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Things start happening up here, don't they? I know emotions are great. God's given us a whole wide array of emotions, and we use them all the time. But, Here's where it all happens in our minds. I, or I mean, I feel like it is. And it says there that this principle comes to us. How, how, long were, how far were you in your Christian walk when you had 
the scriptures whisper to you, you have no abiding city. Turn with me. Hebrews 13, 14. How many of you have heard that, that voice say to you, you have no abiding city? For here we have no lasting city in the ESV, but we seek the city that is to come. We begin to be drawn heavenward, don't we? We begin to realize we, we have an address. I mean, it'd be like someone say, okay, I need, I need your address to start your cell phone service or something. I could say, well, it's 161 Reed Street, Shady Spring, West Virginia, but I don't belong there. I, you know, it's, I'm there, but I really don't. What do you mean by that? You don't, we don't say those things. We have an address, a place to live, but we don't belong there. That's not where we really are. This principle is fantastic. Here is the main verses for that. Go back a couple chapters to chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Talking about the whole array of godly people that had gone on before that had honored the Lord. Verses 13 through 16 of Hebrews 11. These all died in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they'd gone, they would have just opportunity to return there. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God to be prepared and has prepared for them a city. Folks, we need to be warned to be faithful to Christ is to put us out of step with the society in which we live. The things we share with people these days will not be taken well by some people. They say, we've come past that. We no longer need that. We're not there anymore. I tell you, we are. So as believers, we are going to be out of step with the society we know. We have different values and desires and goals and purposes. But we still live in... And serve the people within the maze. Here's a quote by this gentleman, this uh, Andrew Walls. For the society never existed in East or West, ancient time or modern, which could absorb the word of God painlessly into its system. The gospel, just by its nature, you share the gospel, it, it just generates a response one of either rejection or one of acceptance but it is not painlessly received it requires some kind of a of a reaction so we're shaped by this age but we in which we live but we're so different we're otherworldly we live we live eternally realizing and understanding these two principles allows us to make more sense of our lives this i hope you realize this is really meant to be a very encouraging type message i mean I just feel like if I get a chance or two a year to share with you, it ought to be encouraging. It ought to be something that as believers we've got great hope. And uh, as we live within this maze, we can we can realize that we can still have a tremendous impact. We don't have to fear. You know, sometimes I get so overwhelmed by the, 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 just the first few things, the election coming up, the economy, the uh, ever-changing Culture, those three things alone could just really drive you to your knees.
not only to pray, but to never rise again. But they do not need to because this God we serve is much bigger than all those things and will see us through to the end. Joshua 1, 5b says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a great promise. I want to read to you a quote from a book here. Hudson Taylor, he experienced all kinds of heartache and hardship. My word, tremendous deaths and families, lost a wife, child, just all kinds of things as he was a missionary in China. But this is a quote from him. He says, in the greatest difficulties, in the heaviest trials, in the deepest poverty and necessities, he has never failed me. But because I was enabled by the grace, by his grace, to trust in him, he has always appeared for my help. I delight in speaking well of his name. It's funny, Dave Gilbert this morning had, uh, had some scripture. He talked about a few of these things too. It was, it's amazing how the whole day has been pretty neat that way. I want to share with you something from 1 Samuel that talks about this, the name. Hudson Taylor says, I, I don't have any problem speaking well of my God's name. 1 Samuel 12, part of 20 through uh, 22. Yet do not, this is when Israel was desiring a king. So yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because he has pleased the Lord It has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. As believers, we do have the best of all worlds. It's a fantastic place to be. You know, 42 years ago, he spoke to my heart. I had my road to Damascus experience. Some of the same verses I'd heard plenty of times before I grew up in a Christian family. We we most always were in church. Not all the, not, you know, every time the doors were open, but we were a church-going family. Uh, we prayed at mealtime. There wasn't any foul language around the house. Had heard all the verses. But at 22 years of age, they blossomed like a huge, beautiful flower in my mind and heart, and God called me to himself. So I know what that feels like. I know what that is. It's a wonderful thing. And even as we go through this maze with all these other people, people that don't know the Lord, all these people that are thinking they've got the answer, they've got it figured out, we still have the message that is correct. And we've got to, we've got to be willing to share that with them. So we, we are pilgrims. We're not meant for this land. I know you sense that sometimes as believers. You're just up against the wall. As us old timers, you say, boy, I'm up again it. You know, we, you feel like there's no real hope, no real answers. But we realize that God is still in perfect control. We'll take care of everything every need we ever have. I want, to, I want to share with you a book real quickly just before I close. It's kind of like the inspiration of this message. It's one of the free ones we got at T4G. That's one good thing. No, one of the many good things about going to that the, Together for the Gospels. You get a bunch of very expensive free books. Now, I don't know how expensive this one is, but it's a small book written by John P- Piper called A Camaraderie of Confidence. It's about three men that were contemporaries and good friends and shared in each other's ministries. Charles Spurgeon, George Mueller, and uh, Hudson Taylor. But this is the seventh of his books. He writes, he takes three great Christian 
leaders of the past and writes something about them. He got the idea, listen to this, when Augustine handed over the leadership of the church in A.D. 426, his successor was so overwhelmed by a sense of inadequacy that he declared, quote, the swan is silent. Fearing the spiritual giant's voice would be lost in time. But for 1,600 years, Augustine has not been silent, and neither have the men who faithfully trumpeted the cause of Christ after him. Their lives have inspired every generation of believers and could compel us to a greater passion for God. You may want to, I want to pick up some more of these books, but uh, I got the, the message out of the, the start of that. So I want to leave you with this. Again, just to encourage you. We face, we're going to face amazing odds in the future, those of us who are believers. There are going to be tough things to deal with. But God will enable us, give us strength. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I wouldn't want to be on any other team. So if you're here and you're, un, you're an unbeliever, this is all gobbledygook. It doesn't make any sense to you. Unless God is working in your heart and your mind, if that's the case, maybe it rung true a little bit. If you don't know him, but God has been dealing with your heart, hopefully this will be the day of salvation for you. Come to Carl, Tim, me, any, any uh, adult in the church family here can help you uh, work your way through and come to the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's, it's a joy to share with you from time to time. I, as an elder, enjoy very much serving the people here. Again, it's a great privilege to be a believer, to be in that family. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for these few moments together with, with my family. They're more of a family to me than, than uh, many other people that I've known much longer would be. Because we share, as believers, we share a common Savior. The wonder of who Jesus is. What he's done and what he will do. Someday we will all sing as one beautiful sounding voice in the kingdom. And we'll be there with those who've died persecuted through the years. Those great patriarchs and matriarchs that have gone before us. Uh, we'll see people that we just read about now. But we will rejoice and sing together. But that's at the other end of the maze. That's at the other end of our lives when you either call us home to be with you or you return and establish your kingdom on this earth. What a glorious thought. It is a joy to know you, a joy to serve you. And I just pray for each person here, wherever they are in their Christian life, whether believers or unbelievers, that this might be the day of salvation for the unbeliever and strengthening time for the believer. Lord, we love you to this day. Go with us to our homes as we celebrate this, this holiday weekend, as we do remember those who have gone before us, not only spiritually, but physically and paid a price that we might enjoy freedom. Lord, go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.